Um, today, we're going to continue with our You Asked For It series. Uh, there's a question that, um, that many of you have asked in your own life. Uh, when, we, when we put a, a poll out during Easter, uh, we sent a poll out to everybody in the church and said, what are some of the very top things that you're interested in? Like, what are the issues that really you want to hear from the pulpit? Something that's in your life that you want to hear uh, talked about and preached about. The number one response that we got, the number one response from this congregation was, what is God's will for my life? What is the purpose for which God has designed me? Why why am I here? What is God's uh, meaning for me and for um, my life? So let me do this before I dive all the way into the material. I want you to take out your bulletin if you got your sermon notes. Did everybody get sermon notes here today? All right, get out your sermon notes for a minute. I'm going to have you do something we've never done. This is, this is going to be exciting. Actually, you're really going to like this, I promise. You got your sermon notes? All right, about three-quarters of the way down, it says your specific purpose in life is, and then there's a blank, right? And then, then the notes go on to the second page. You can take a pen and just cross out the whole second half of today's sermon. How do you, how do you like that? Um, it's not that I'm not going to preach it. I'm just not going to preach it today. I was going to try to cover this massive amount of ter- material. What is God's general purpose and what is God's specific purpose? So if you want to know what your specific purpose in life is, you've got to come back two weeks from today. All right. This is a to be continued kind of sermon. Um, after my, my 14-point sermon two weeks ago and then my epic marathon sermon last week, um, I felt like I should probably just trim a little material and, uh, and, and keep it nice and concise. So I'm going to just preach the first half. Um, but the good thing is you can't actually get to the second half. You can't get to God's specific purpose for you until you understand God's general purpose for your life. But we're going to get into all of that um, in just a second. Now, when you ask the question, what is my purpose? That presupposes another statement. And that other statement is that there is a purpose for your life. When you say, what's my purpose? You have to assume or you have to believe that in fact there is a purpose for your life, right? And if you believe that there is a purpose in life, then you also therefore believe that there's something outside of your life that gives you that purpose, someone or something outside of your life that says, this is your purpose. Mark Twain, the great writer, said this. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Understanding our purpose is absolutely core and key to, to living out a life full of meaning and substance and hope But we can't get to that question until we wrestle with the question, is there purpose in life? And if there is purpose in life, what kind of a creature gives us that purpose? Um, So when you're asking the question, is there purpose in my life? You're actually asking a theological question. And the theological question is, who is God? What's he like? And why did he put me here? Here's here's the, 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 the point number one. The idea of purpose... So if we're going to look at the question of purpose, the idea of purpose assumes the existence of God. 
All right. Recently, I listened to a moderated discussion between these two philosophers, uh, both very bright, both very well written, articulate. A guy named Michael Roos, who was a, an atheist philosopher, philosopher from um, uh, Florida State, and a guy named Andy Bannister, who's a philosopher uh, and, a, and a writer, a Christian uh, philosopher from Melbourne School of Theology. And as you might agree, these two guys disagreed on just about everything that they were talking about. They were very cordial, very friendly, but they didn't have a lot of agreement points. But the one thing they did agree on was this, that, that without God, if there is no God, then there is no real objective purpose in life. If there is no God, there's no objective meaning. Now, we can attach our own little personal meanings to our lives uh, that are subjective, sort of a postmodern sense of meaning, but if there's a... If there's no God, then there isn't a real direct purpose, a real objective purpose in life. Um, Michael Roos said, said it like this. He's there, he said there's no meaning with a capital M. You know, you can create these small kinds of meanings, but there's no real meaning. Andy Bannister put it like this. He said, if there is no God, then humankind is not designed, purposed, or planned. There is nothing we are intended to be. All that we hold dear, all of our dreams, ambitions, goals, and accomplishments are pure accidents of atoms. Furthermore, he said, no matter how high we squirm up the greasy pole of existence, no matter how enlightened we become, all of it, the whole cathedral of human accomplishment, is destined to become no more than rubble buried beneath the debris of the end of the universe, utterly ruined, pitch dark, cold as death, achingly alone." Aren't you glad you came to church today? We, we really know how to just inspire you when you come to church. Um, <laughs> he's trying to make the point that if there's no God, then there's no real purpose. There's no real meaning to anything that we do. But here's the good news. Because for thousands of years, the Scripture has been providing deep and powerful answers to the deep and powerful questions that we have about meaning and purpose and the purpose of life and the meaning of our existence. And so if you are uh, here today and you are not a Christian but you're thinking about the faith and you're just sort of you know, peeking in to see what it's all about, this is a good day for you to be here because you get to see what is the substance and, uh, of what the Christian faith tells us is our purpose and tells us is our meaning. If you are a Christian, then this is a great day for you to be here because you're going to get a, a, a very clear sense of what God has purposely designed in your life to give you purpose and meaning as you live out your life and your uh, existence. So what I want to do is I want to just jump straight into this and, and talk about what is your purpose, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus. What is your purpose? Um, the first point is this. Your purpose in life is to glorify God in all that you do. And I'm going to explain this a, 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 lot, a lot more in just a moment. The purpose of your life is to glorify God in all that you do. Now, I have a personal attachment to this, to this statement and a personal attachment to this whole topic, this whole issue. Um, you know, I, I, many of you know this, the story of my, my sort of faith journey. I grew up in a church. I grew up, you know, the son of a pastor. Um, and when I was a very young man, uh, a, a teenager, I felt very strongly that God had put a calling on my life to become a pastor. And that was the calling that he had put on my life. And that's the trajectory of the life that he wanted for me. And that's where I was supposed to go. Um, but I did not want to go down that path. I, I did not, my desire and his calling were not 
in accordance with one another. Um, and so I did what, uh, you know, a lot of young, brash, prideful men do and said, I'm not doing that. Um, in fact, I turned away from the faith altogether as a teenager. And within a few years, I was not a believer at all. Um, I was not a church person at all. I was, I was an agnostic. Um, I, and, and, I, and I didn't believe in Jesus or the Bible or anything else. Didn't, I, I rejected the whole thing. Um, and in that rejection, what also dwindled away uh, is any sense of purpose or meaning. Because in my life, I started to think, well, if there is no God... And if there's nobody behind the steering wheel of this, of this thing, uh, then, then maybe I don't have a purpose. Maybe we're all just here as a series of kind of random you know, events that are kind of strung together haphazardly, randomly, and there's no real purpose behind any of it. Um, that, that's, that's what I was challenged with. Uh, but then when I became a Christian years later... One of, the many, one of the, the many blessings that happened when I became a Christian is that I began to get a sense of clarity again about what my purpose was, about my general purpose and about my specific purpose. I began to read the scriptures, and I began to read other Christian writings. And in fact, I came across a, um, a, a primer, a catechism, really, that was written for um, you know, children and new believers in the 1600s. And, and, it, and it, the very first question that it asked and answered was this question of purpose. You, you may have seen this. Um, the, the first question it said is, what is the chief end of man? Has anybody seen this before? Some of you guys? Okay. Uh, what is the chief end of man? And the answer was, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, and I came across that and I thought, you know, that's interesting because I've never, I've never heard that before. Um, I've never heard the idea that there is a specific purpose for your life that you can live out no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're doing in life. You can live out your purpose by glorifying God. So then I began to look at the scriptures to say, okay, so this is an interesting idea, but what, is, what, what did the scriptures say about this? Here's what I found. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Tell of His glory among the nations. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Over and over and over throughout the scriptures, I kept seeing this theme that our purpose, my purpose as a human being, is to bring glory to God in everything I do, say, think, and believe. My my objective as a human being is to bring glory to God. And so my next step then was to say, what does that mean? Like, how do you actually do that? How do you actually bring glory? glory to God? How do you glorify God with your life? Um, recently, my wife and I and our kids were at a hotel. We were, um, took a trip down to Nashville, and we took uh, a, a night at a hotel. We pulled into the hotel at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, the, the, the clerk behind the counter, uh, you know, was not overly happy to see me come in at that time. Um, She's probably been napping in the back, and so, you know, so I come in, ring the bell, and she comes out, um, and she's, uh, you know, she comes out, we start talking, and maybe it's because she was tired, and maybe because it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, she just was a little grumpy or sleepy or whatever. But she came out, and, like, she immediately starts, ta- she was nice enough, but she immediately started talking about, like, 
just random things that had nothing to do with me checking in to the hotel. Um, so she started saying, you know, man, this computer is just really, you know, I, I don't know what's the matter with this computer. It's not working. I tried that computer earlier, and that wasn't working. So now I'm on this computer. It's not working. And, you know, the software that we use is really outdated. And our printer is very glitchy. And you know what? Some of my em- fellow colleague and employees, they don't really do their job right. And then, you know, and that, then she starts complaining about management. And then she's like, she's like just, just talking to me just like I'm her best friend, and she's just venting, right? And this is going on and on. Uh, until finally my wife actually popped her head into the hotel and was like, are we checking in here because the kids are starting to lose it? You know, and I'm like, yeah, can we just hurry this along and just go? Um, I was thinking, like, what if this was undercover boss and I was the CEO of this hotel chain, right? But, but what happened was, and maybe it was because she was tired and it was late and we'll give her all the benefit of the doubt. She had forgotten what her purpose was in that role at that time. Her purpose in that role at that time was to be a representative of this organization, of this hotel chain, and to represent the goodness of this hotel to me, the customer, and check me into my hotel so I could go to my room and go to bed because it was 2 o'clock in the morning, right? She had forgotten her purpose. She was wearing the hotel clothes. She was wearing the hotel vest. She's wearing the hotel badge. You know, she was on hotel time. She was drawing a hotel paycheck, but she forgot that she was representing the hotel, that her purpose in that moment was to represent the hotel. Glorifying God means that in all that we do say and think, we are representing, we are reflecting the glory, the splendor, the beauty, the power, the majesty of the God that we serve. And we do this in every aspect of our life. Glorifying God means that we are, we are shining God's light. We are reflecting his light to everyone we meet. Both, you know, and it doesn't matter what our circumstances is, uh, what our circumstances are. We are reflecting his image all the time. Everywhere we go, the way that we treat a waitress at the diner, the effort we put forth when we study, the energy we put forth at work, the attitude that we have when we're at home, uh, the way we spend our money, the way we save our money, the way we give our money, the the friends that we uh, hang around with, the posts on social media, everything that we do, our purpose is to reflect God's glory in that. Whatever it is that we're saying or doing. Here's two things that blew my mind when I, when I made this discovery for myself. That I love about this, this idea that our, our purpose is to glorify God. One is, it breaks down the secular sacred divide. So, I don't know, you know uh, about you personally, but a lot of people have their religiousness in a box. And they compartmentalize their life. Like, this is my, this is my spirituality. And I got this all tidied up over here and wrapped up in a bow, and I'll do this on Sunday mornings. And then this is my real life over here. This is my secular life over here. This is where I hang out with my friends, and this is where I work, and this is, you know. And, and, you know, I don't really want these two to have too much interaction because sometimes, you know, we just don't want things spilling over, you know, into the two categories, right? Um, When you realize that your purpose in life, your purpose in life is to glorify God, then that sacred secular divide just breaks down. Because now God is in the mix in everything you do. The way you treat your friends, the way you uh, act at school, the way you interact with your spouse if you're married, uh, all of that is informed by your desire to fulfill your purpose of bringing honor and glory to God in all that you do in reflecting His beauty. Now, at 2 o'clock in the morning, some of us might not be 
you know, reflecting God's glory that much. Um, so that's why we got to give the, the lady at the hotel a break. But, but that's our purpose. That begins to inform everything that we do, right? That starts to creep in underneath everything that we do, say, and think. So that's number one. The other thing that's beautiful about this and that gave me a great sense of, uh, of liberty when I learned this is that now I don't have to seek God's purpose for my life in some imagined future. I can live God's purpose for my life right here, right now, in whatever circumstances that I'm in. If my job is to glorify God in my words and my thoughts and in my actions, I can do that whether or not I've got the perfect job, the perfect house, the perfect uh, uh, spouse. The per- I don't have to wait until some future event where I can then discover my purpose, right? I've got my purpose, and I can live it out right here, right now. And it doesn't matter if you've got the crummiest job in the world. You can start to live out your purpose in that job by bringing God's glory and reflecting God's glory and his beauty and brilliance in that job. You can be in a difficult, strained relationship right now and begin to fulfill your purpose in that relationship by reflecting God's beauty and glory and power and might and majesty and, and grace and mercy and love right here, right now. So it's an immediate It gives you an immediate ability to start fulfilling your purpose, not waiting for some future pie-in-the-sky moment. So how do we do this specifically, right? So glorifying God is this great idea. We're all like, yes, we should definitely be glorifying God. Uh, But how do we do that specifically? Um, Let me give you a quote from John Piper. He says this. Uh, He says, glorifying God is the ultimate absolute, all-pervasive reason for being everything, for being everything we are and doing everything we do. Therefore, glorify God in everything you do, period. John Piper, this is one of his favorite areas, glorifying God, and he just goes on and on about it with great enthusiasm. If you, if you haven't ever heard him preach, you should Google him um, because he, he's, got a, he's got a lot of exuberance around this topic. Um, but he's saying we should, we should be glorifying God in everything we do. But how do we do that specifically? I'm going to give you a few principles today that I think are just going to be helpful to you in your daily life, like beginning right now and walking through this week. Rather than seeking out, God, what is your purpose for my life? You can actually start living it right now. And here's the first one. We glorify God and we fulfill our purpose through our elevated thoughts. Through our elevated thoughts. Okay. What does this mean? So my son, Jameson, he's a a cerebral kind of guy. He's up in his head. He likes to think about stuff. And he used to think of thoughts about, he used to think of thoughts as if they were sort of like little invisible marbles that kind of rolled around in your brain, but that if you weren't careful, they could fall out, right? And then you, and they would roll away. So he would always say this, dad, I, you know, I have a thought. Can you write this down? Because this may fall out. And then I won't have that thought anymore. So then I would be writing down all of his random little thoughts, right? Um, Or he was really worried about it when he slept. Like before he went to sleep, he's like, I know that a lot of my thoughts are going to fall out. So can you just write some stuff down? So I'm, you know, I'm dictating. He's dictating and I'm just writing down all of his thoughts. Um, He doesn't do that anymore, thankfully. I think we sealed, we put, we put earplugs in. And so, no. Um, But this is, this is the way, this is the way that he thought about it. I think he may be onto something because I think that for some of us, there may be some thoughts that are kind of rolling around up in our mind that it would be best for them just to fall out and roll away and just roll on down the path, right? Just roll on down the line, right? Uh, because you, you may not be able to control every single thought that enters your mind. 
But you can control which thoughts you attach to. You can control which thoughts you throw your arms around and hold on to. Right? You can control which thoughts that you're going to give credence to. You can control which thoughts you're going to live your life by. Um, so that's why we need to examine those thoughts to determine whether or not they're true. In fact, in, in uh, the scripture, it says this. Philippians 4, it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Do you have that? There it is. Yeah, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What the Bible's saying here is, here's the stuff that, here are the thoughts for you to hang on to. Because there are a lot of invisible marbles that you can just let roll out. But these are the ones you want to hang on to, right? Sometimes I compare it to uh, like the screensaver on your computer. You know, if you guys have a screensaver, you know, when your computer, after you've been working on it for a while, then you just let it rest and then a screensaver pops up. What is the screensaver of your mind? When you allow your mind to just kind of relax and wander to wherever it's going to go, what, what are the thoughts that sort of pop up in that moment? Because I think a lot of times we need to change the screensaver of our mind from things that are not true, not right, not holy, not pure, to things that are lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, right? There's one author that compared our thoughts to like logs going down a river. You may not control every log that comes down the river, right? But you don't have to like grab on to all of them and ride them over the, over the dam, Okay, so so the scripture is teaching us one of the ways that we glorify God is through our thoughts, through having elevated thoughts, focusing on those things, meditating on those things that are right and true and noteworthy and praiseworthy. Okay, so that's number one. That's number one. Number two is we glorify God through our encouraging words, our encouraging words. I want to challenge you this week to try and experiment. Okay, here's our experiment. Take out a three by five index card. And write two words on that card. Write positive and then write negative. And every time you complain or blame or gossip or put somebody down or whine or, compl- or moan or, you know, any of the other things that we all tend to do, put a little hash mark under the negative heading. And then every time you give thanks or every time you compliment someone or every time you cheer someone up or every time you you know, uh, encourage someone, put a little hashtag under the positive heading. And then at the end of the day, take your three by five card and just see how you've done. Like, where's the balance of my, where is the balance of my words? Are the balance of my words discouraging and despondent and despairing and bitter and angry and unforgiving? Or, or are the, are the balance of my words positive and uplifting and inspiring and encouraging? Because the scripture teaches us to do this. It says, let no, wholesome, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word uh, as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. In other words, the only thing, like, like limit the amount of the complaints. Like let those complaints, maybe if you have a complaint, it, turn it into like a, 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 um, a fix. Like if there's an issue, like how, how can you fix this problem, right? Rather than just complaining. Instead of blaming, how about like complimenting and like seeing the good in somebody, right? Um, and so the Bible is just teaching us we glorify God when we switch the way that we talk from being discouraging and negative to being encouraging and positive. 
And that's one of the ways that we begin to fulfill our purpose and glorify God right here and right now in these circumstances. Number three is this. Are you guys getting all this? This is all good. I mean, there's some, this is just straight up teaching stuff, man. We just get into it. Number three is um, generous spirit. Generous spirit. Uh, John Bunyan said this. You have not lived until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. Um, many, many years ago, there was an eight-year-old girl. Her name was Laura Acknan. And Laura used to do this thing to her little brother that was really mean and nasty. She had a little brother, and every time she'd go to her little brother, she would take um, her, she would take, they both got allowance, and they got allowance in coins. So she would take, she would save up a bunch of nickels. And then she would go to her brother, and she'd say, hey, why don't we just trade um, my nickels for your dimes? Because, um, you know, one for one. Because um, my nickels are like really big and look how heavy they are. And then look how little puny and uh, your dimes are. They're just small and they're not that. So why don't I just... And her little brother, you know, was trusting and naive and ignorant, you know. Uh, And he said, okay, great. So for years, she was doubling her money by scamming her little brother. Um, uh, You know, and then she would take all of these dimes and then go get, you know, an ice cream sundae and have an awesome day. Well, this must have impacted her in some kind of deep way because she ended up becoming um, a psychologist at the University of British Columbia. Um, And she studied the impact of money on happiness. Um, This is a true story. So she actually, a few years ago, in 2008, she teamed up with Harvard Business School professor Michael Norton, and they published a paper called Spending Money on Others Promotes Happiness. And here's what she and her colleagues found. They found that contrary to popular opinion, you could buy happiness. You could buy happiness. But it wasn't in how much money you got. It's in what percentage of money you gave to people and and. Uh, causes that you believed in because they found that it didn't matter if you were a CEO making seven figures a year or you were a college student, you know, scraping by on part-time, or they even found that in toddlers, two to four-year-olds actually experienced a greater sense of joy when they shared their treats with a stuffed animal that couldn't even eat the treat than when they received the treat themselves. God has hardwired something in us that, that, gives us, that gives us joy, satisfaction, and broadens our ability um, and broadens our scope uh, when, we, when we share, when we give to causes and people that we believe in. Um, there's a Proverbs that says this, Proverbs 11. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So if you want to live a truly fulfilling, refreshing life, then open up your, the grasp on your stuff, on, on your time, on your resources, on your talent, and share it with others who may or may not ever be able to pay you back. And you will experience a depth of joy in your life that you have never experienced before. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking. Brent's going to take an offering at this point, and this is right. I'm not doing that, all right? We will have that Sunday, but this is not it. Um, this is a principle that applies to your life, and, and, and the beauty of it is it applies to your life whether you're a believer or not. It applies to your life whether you are a staunch atheist or whether you are uh, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool Christian. 
Um, and it applies to your life, whether you're giving to a, a church or whether you're giving to some other worthy cause, some other nonprofit organization that is doing good work. When you open up your life and begin to allow blessings to flow through you, then the blessings can just keep coming because you've expanded your ability and your generosity. You've expanded the way uh, you can give and you've expanded your, your, your relationship with God. Uh, ultimately, you've begun to reflect his glory, his wealth, his generosity, um, and, and you begin to reflect uh, the blessings that he's poured out for you. So to, to, to live a life of purpose, live a life of generosity. And then number four is this, helping hands. This is the last one I want to give you today, helping hands. Um, we glorify God and we fulfill our purpose through service to others. And, and again, it doesn't matter if you found your ultimate specific purpose or not. When you serve others in any capacity, you begin to fulfill your purpose right here and right now. In fact, I want to just take a moment. If, you're on, on, if you are on our dream team, can we just acknowledge you for a second? If you are serving in any capacity on our dream team in this church, would you guys just mind to stand for a minute and just let all of us thank you for what you do? Can we share? Can we... Come on, guys. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these guys are working behind the scenes. Uh, our setup team, our sound team back there, our music team, our prayer team. I mean, uh, the, the children's... In fact, our children's team is working so hard back there um, to, to pr- provide an environment where those kids are taken one step closer to Jesus and to provide you an opportunity to, you know, worship in here without, you know, kids climbing up on you and running around. And um, that, that when you go out there today, if you have kids, would you just stop and tell those guys, thank you? Would you just stop and say to the nursery person and to the preschool person and the elementary person and the children's work, could you just stop and say, thank you? Would you guys do that? Um, this is a church that serves uh, we find our purpose in serving, both in the church and outside of the church. In fact, uh, l- let me read you this scripture really quick. Matthew 23, Jesus says this. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. He said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What he's saying is, if you want to glorify God, you want to fulfill your purpose in life, serve others. Serve others in your church. Serve others outside of your church. Wherever you are, seek to serve others in whatever you do. In fact, our students this week, um, there's a picture of a few of our students this week. They're at, a, they're at a conference right now, and they're out, like, serving refugees and hanging out with the refugees, just, just a handful of them. Um, but they're out doing that this week because we want to teach them from day one that your purpose in life is to serve. Your purpose in life is not to gain. Your purpose in life is to give. Um, so they're out there doing that. Lois Truman has started a, 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 a food pantry life group. If you want to be a part of a food pantry life group where you're delivering food, and you can do that every week at this church. Um, Shante Smith and Virginia Green have put together in a few weeks. We're going to have a, a big party at Operation Food Search, and we're going to be ser- you know, putting together food for kids all around St. Louis um, who are struggling. So Viral Kleins has launched a homeless initiative, um, and he's starting to put that together. So we just believe in, this, in this, this hugely powerful principle of we can begin to find our purpose right now through service. And I want to invite everybody to get involved in one way or another on that. The bottom line is this. And I think this is what I 
I began to discover, and this is why I think this is so meaningful um, to me, because when I did first become a Christian, my question that I had been asking for so many years of what is my purpose? What is my meaning? Why am I here? That question began to change. And the question began to, to turn into this. God, how can I fulfill my purpose of glorifying you right now? How can I fulfill my purpose of bringing honor to you right now in this conversation that I'm having, in this person that I'm dating, in this relationship that I'm in, in this school that I'm enrolled in, in this job that I'm doing, at the church that I'm attending? How can I not seek some future hopeful purpose, right? Because that's all part of it. But how can I begin to fulfill the purpose that I know I have right now? And here is the, the, the secret to all of it, okay? Because when you begin to fulfill your purpose right here, right now, your general purpose of bringing glory to God, through doing that over and over and over, you begin to discover your specific purpose for which God has designed you specifically. You walk towards that purpose. It doesn't come to you in just a, a, a blast of lightning. It comes to you through faithful service of living out the purpose that God has for you right here, right now. So my challenge to all of us is this. Let's begin to do this. Let's be a church that lives out our purpose through our thoughts, through our words, through our actions, through our openness, through our generosity, through everything that we are doing right now. Let's be a church that lives on purpose. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we just ask that you, you help us to live this out. We ask that you give us strength, Holy Spirit, to live out our lives on purpose, to not always be thinking about some future purpose, some future destiny, some future calling, but Lord, right now, right here, to live out the purpose to which you have called us, 